0: Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 173 of the podcast. My name is Kerry Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. And Happy New Year. Happy 2018 to you. Uh, We are in the early days, early hours, actually, of a brand new year. And I'm so excited to be in this together. I thought there's no better way to kick off a brand new year then, with how about uh, over an hour of solid leadership rocket fuel? I sat down with Craig Grischel, and Craig was just so generous with his time and is just so incredibly. Perceptive and transparent. I thought, yep, yeah, that's going to be the kickoff interview for 2018. And so here we are. And I know you're going to love hearing from the founder and the lead pastor of Life Church, which is really now a movement of churches and probably the largest church in America and has a global influence around the world. But Life Church, uh, I sit down with Craig. He is uh, just fantastic in this interview. I think you're going to love it. So hang on for that. And because it's a new year, you're probably looking for brand new patterns. I know I am. And I just want to let you know, today is the last day that you will be able to get in on this round of the High Impact Leader course. The High Impact Leader course is a course that has helped over 2,500 leaders, both in the church world and in the corporate world, get their life and leadership back. What I share in it is the patterns that I've developed over the last 12 years that have really helped me operate at a whole new level. Now, you don't have to follow my patterns. You get to determine yours, but it's all about how to get time, energy, and priorities working in your favor. Um, Head on over to thehighimpactleader.com before it's too late because things close up tonight at midnight. So if you wait until tomorrow when you wake up, hey, you won't be able to get into the course anymore. Uh, But the course is where I show you in 10 easy to understand and easy to apply modules, uh, some of the principles that have just revolutionized my life over the last 12 years, where I'm able to do an awful lot more in a lot less time and really focus on impact at work and also impact at home and in my personal life. And really, the the goal is to just help you apply those principles to your life. So head on over to thehighimpactleader.com. We've got some exclusive bonuses happening right now that again, are going to go away. And if you're looking to lead like never before in 2018, I invite you to enroll in the High Impact Leader course today. So head on over to thehighimpactleader.com. Well, before we get into my conversation with Craig Rochelle, I want to take you into another conversation, one I had with the founder and the CEO of TrainedUp.Church. And I talked to him about one of the problems that I think a lot of you are going to try to solve, particularly in churches and volunteer organizations, which is simply this... How do you attract top talent to your team when you're in a volunteer organization like a church or community group or not-for-profit? I mean, that's something every single leader in that field struggles with. Here is the founder and the CEO of TrainedUp.Church, Scott Magdalene.
1: One of the most important things we see in recruiting is after you've piqued their attention with a you know, a Sunday morning announcement or, you know, a card to fill out at the, the information desk. The next thing is onboarding them. And we've spent a lot of time tailoring Trained Up to make onboarding really easy. We have probably 75% or 80% of our usage of Trained Up is in the onboarding scenario, bringing new, new volunteers into a ministry and getting them up to speed quickly so that they can get going quickly. There's usually—the <laughs> frustrating thing about volunteering at a church is that you are interested on Sunday morning— but then it takes a week, maybe two or three weeks to get actually into and in volunteering in the ministry. Um, and that time time gap in between is a real joy killer. Right? It's like you're I'm ready to go. I'm, you know, I'm chomping at the bit to get in and serve kids or to be a greeter or whatever. And it takes time for me to get in. Um, what Trained Up does is it shrinks that down to, you know, they sign up on Sunday number one. And by the next Sunday, they can be serving in their first serve Sunday with all the training under their belt already.
0: Some helpful tips from Scott. Well, during January, Trained Up would like you to get started in 2018 with online training for your team. Stop trying to get everyone in a room. Start getting everyone trained. And here's what you can do. As a listener to this podcast, just use the coupon code CAREY and that will get you 10% off for being a podcast listener. So that's C-A-R-E-Y on checkout That is 10% off for life. Make sure you head on over to TrainedUp.Church today. Use the coupon code CARRY, and you've got 10% off on online training for your team for life. Well, without much further ado, let's jump right into my conversation with Life Church's Craig Grishel. Well, Craig, welcome back. I'm really, really glad to have you, and a lot has happened since you and I last talked. Um, I'd, I'd love to start with your leadership podcast, which is fine. You've been at it about 18 months and I told you before we started recording I think it's the best 20 minutes of like condensed leadership high octane rocket fuel I know of and and we have very different formats mine is interview yours is just so if you haven't subscribed to Craig's podcast you need to just so you know it's fantastic comes out once a month but I'd love to know what are you learning as a podcaster what are what are you learning? Either about the art of podcasting, or even what leaders are struggling with.
2: Yeah, well, Kerry. First of all, I just want to say thanks for having me back on your podcast. I'm a massive fan of your content. I, I think you're one of the uh, clearest and uh, best thinkers in in uh, church leadership around. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, you mentioned mine's good at 20 minutes. You're you you keep people's attention for an hour. So that's I, I run out of things to say after 20 minutes. So yours is. Uh, Really, really good, and I, you know, I'm new, uh, new podcaster, so I, I am learning a lot. I I, um, I listen to uh, a lot of podcasts, and that's really the only way I've learned. I should be a student more of actually how to do it, but I just kind of listen to yours and others, and and take what I like, and and so yes, what I've learned from it, I, I guess one of the biggest things is y- you've probably learned this as well, but I'm just shocked at how much hunger there is for mm-hmm uh, for leadership content and, and people look forward to it. They crave it. They use it. They listen to it together in groups. And, uh, there's just, there's so, I guess such a big need. Uh, I know when you uh, open yours up for questions, people ask them like crazy. And so I think people want to have a conversation around leadership and, uh, it, both in the church world and and in the business world, there's just such a such a hunger for it. So, I I think I just underestimated how much of a hunger there was for leadership content when I started it.
0: Yeah, and you do a good job. Like, I love the fact that you usually tackle two questions at the beginning, and mm-hmm. um, I'm sure you get hundreds every month. Um, but I love the fact that you're so accessible. I love the fact that you take questions, and actually, later in this podcast, we're going to get to about. 10 or a dozen uh, leader submitted questions for you. And we're going to do them rapid fire. I'm not as smart as you. I didn't capture their names. So I don't know who asked what, but there's a very good chance your questions have been asked. So I think you're doing a great job with that. Um, I want to talk because you said, hey, when we do this round two, and I would encourage everyone to go back to and we'll link to it in the show notes. First time I interviewed Craig, because we're not going to cover the same ground twice. We talked about your health routines. Then we talked about multi-site. We talked about um, how you keep yourself you know, out of the moral failure ditch and all those things, which was just so helpful. Um, but we never talked about your preaching routine. And uh-huh. you are one of the communicators I listen to on a regular basis. Um, so let's talk about that and kind of deconstruct that because we have a lot sure. of communicators and we have a lot of public speakers listening as well from the business world. How do you determine what to preach on? Like when you look at 2018, 2019, it's a blank canvas. How do you say, okay, we're going to open the year with X and then we're going to talk about Y? How do you do that? Mm -hmm.
2: I I have kind of a a loose strategy of what I want to accomplish in a year period. And uh, I'm sure you're similar. What what I want to do is uh, I want a message to be able to stand alone, but I never want it to be isolated, meaning I I want to, you know, someone's with me over a period of 12 or 18 months or five years. What I want to do is I want to take them on a spiritual journey. So yeah. I feel like we're, we're going somewhere and, uh, you know, I don't feel like, I'm, I'm one of the best communicators at all, but I do feel like over a period of time that I, I do have the ability to move people in a certain direction. And so what I want to do is, is kind of look at, you know, not just even a year, but kind of like over a three year period, what are some of the most important things that we need to cover to help people both spiritually and then even practically to make um, steps and decisions that are going to really positively impact their life and their witness and their ability to live out the gospel um, in in the world. So uh, what I like to do, Carrie, is I like to to teach by message series for two reasons. One is because I think uh, attention spans are short in the world. And so if we can have short series, it gives people something to look forward to. For example, I just, you know, I just look at it like when I, as a consumer, when I go into a movie, I like to see what's coming, and think, oh, I want to see that. And so, what I want to do is create kind of a spiritual hunger for what's coming next in the church, so that people are anticipating how it can help them grow spiritually, or or um, you know, give them something to look forward to. And the other thing is, I like a uh, message series because it backs me into a corner, and it forces forces me into. A theme or a text. If I'm open ended and say I can preach on anything, you know, I'll spend days and days and days just to trying to determine what to preach on. And so I like the I like the boundaries that kind of um, lead me into a uh, you know for, force me to deal with a text or a topic, and and that helps me to to preach more effectively.
0: In your view, what's too long for a sermon series? Like, what's the max that you'd go these days?
2: You know, I've seen some communicators like my pastor. Honestly, (laughs) we did Nehemiah for a year and a half, and I never got bored because he was so um, such a strong communicator. I I think I've seen some communicators. You know, do go six months, go a year, and and do it well. I've seen others go two weeks, and it was probably one week too long. (laughs) So (laughs) I I think it it really it really depends on uh, it depends on the communicator. For me, I like to go. You know. I like to go three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, something like that. Yeah. And uh, honestly, I get—I I like to, to change it up personally as much as anything else. So I figure if I if I need the change, I think sometimes people like it as well.
0: We've all preached sermon series that we've gotten bored of halfway through. I'm sure that's probably you know, true, right? You're like, ah, oh, right. two more weeks of this,
2: <laughs> right?
0: Okay. Um, how far in advance do you prepare?
2: Well, I uh, I like to be one message series ahead. Uh, and so if I'm doing a four week series, you know, before I ever start that one, I want to be thinking about the next one that follows it. And, uh, yeah, I know a lot of people that, you know, don't know what they're going to teach this weekend. yeah. And then I know other people that, that know what they're going to teach, you know, 12 months from now. For me, what I, what I want to do is I want to, I want whatever is coming up to be something that's kind of hot in me spiritually. And I just don't know six months from now what I'm going to be passionate about. I've really got no idea whatsoever. I do know kind of what I feel like God is saying to me right now in his word or what I have a burden for now. And so I have enough foresight to be able to know, hey, in six weeks from now, I think I'm going to be pretty passionate about this subject or this text. Uh, but I really don't know six months from now what's going to be uh, burning within me. Oh, so so you,
0: you don't really look then at a whole preaching calendar for the next year and lay it all out for the most part? I don't. I
2: don't. Yeah. I, I have I have some strategy of knowing what types of messages I want to do. You know, like the January is just ripe for anything, as we know, that leads to change, commitment, passion, Uh, January has a much different feel than May does right and and so I know the type of message series I want to do in January but I don't know as of this recording today what I'm doing in in January I will within the next few weeks but uh I just you know I don't plan out a whole year although I do have some strategy for what types of messages I want to do during different types of seasons
0: Right. You mentioned you have sort of this three-year working knowledge. I get this question a lot. It's like, what's your, Reggie Joiner would use the term scope and cycle. You know, what are the 12 subjects you're going to hit over the course of a year? And then how does that change over three years? I've right. never written mine down. I don't know whether yours is written down. It's like, you know, I got to have a relationship series and a grace series and a repentance series. But it, we have this working knowledge in our head how do you mm-hmm. handle that? Is yours just like, well, I know I got to have a relationship series every year and a, a repentance. Like, do you have those big rocks written down? And if not, what are some of those that you're just like, yeah, these are the subjects we have to come back to again and again?
2: You know, yeah, not at all. So, it, but I do. But I, if you look back, it would almost appear that there's some rhythm. It's only right. because I recognize there's there's certain needs that people have that, that I want to touch on quite a bit. You know, the, there's some... Uh, Some staples. We know we know Christmas is coming. We know Easter's coming. So those are pretty.
3: (laughs) Kind of have to cover uh, those.
2: Those are set in stone. And then what I want to do is, you know, relationships and marriages are so important and they're they're so under attack that I probably, if you look back on the rhythms, will hit hit a full message series on that at least once every three years, perhaps um, more frequently than that. And then every time I do that, I'm aware that there's people that are, you know, a good percentage of the church, maybe as much as half are not married. And so I actually want to throw in a um, message to help people who prepare uh, both for marriage and just to live faithfully um, when when they're not married. And so I want to keep that in the front of my mind. Uh, although it's really difficult to preach on and people kind of almost avoid it financial stewardship, managing wisely the resources that that we have is really important. And so I'll cycle that in probably um, every three years or so. And, and so there's some subjects like that, you know, big things that people deal with. I want to talk on forgiving others at least once every couple of years, because we don't want to have, we, you know, the, the, the subjects like that that are so important to our relationship with God and other people, uh, I think are really important. And then Uh, What I want to do, even more than that, Carrie, is I want to kind of vary the style and approach of teaching. For example, I just did a a message series called Different High Points from 1 Peter. And so that's real textual. And I want to dive into the text, give them context. And then I followed it up with a message series that was more topical. And so what I want to do is really vary the approach so that people don't hear God's Word the same way all the time. It's similar to working out You know, my philosophy is in the gym, I want to shock my muscles. So if I'm doing arms, I may do um, high reps with low weight one day. The next time, I may go and do low reps with high weights. And so I want to preach God's word in a way that it is not completely predictable. I think there are some things that should be consistent in how we communicate because people find comfort in consistency. But I think that in order to grow spiritually, we should vary the way we do it. So I, I want to, I want to have some consistent um, parts about style and expectation so that people do relax. But I want to bring God's Word in in different ways, both textual um, and then bury the um, topic. So that I believe that's a good way to help people grow.
0: No, I think that's good. In terms of the actual preparation process, so you like to, before you start the current series, you know, week one of what you're currently doing, you like to know where you're going for the one after that correct?
2: Yep. And I like to have, before I start, for example, um, uh, one weekend from now, I'm going to start a three week message series, uh, kind of talking about spiritual warfare and how we deal with our enemy. So that message series is about 85, 90% finished and we haven't started it yet. And so that's ideal. I like to have the message series mostly finished before we start at least outlined. Right. And I find that, you know, for me, I don't always hit that, but I probably hit it eighty to ninety percent of the time. Oftentimes, I won't know until week four, kind of what the big thought is in week one. If so, if I can get, if I can work through a whole series, I feel like it 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 creates strength on all the weeks. Um, If I can, if I can work them out even before I start the first one.
0: We're very similar in that respect. We're generally I'm done what we call all the teaching screens, the stuff that's going to actually, you know, our service programming department needs um before I get up to deliver part one. And that can be intimidating to people, but mm-hmm. I love the fact I think you you relieved a lot of pastors who are like, oh thank goodness Craig Rochelle doesn't have two years of preaching in the can ready to go. <laughs> you know, like that's sort of that just in time delivery.
2: Yeah, yeah, but then I want to be in the text that week, so I've I've got an outline done for the message series, but then I'll still spend a day and a half on that current week, kind of loading it in me, um, and and ta- taking it to completion. Even though it's, yeah. here's what's crazy is I might have a message eighty percent finished, but it's only I've only spent half the time on it, meaning it, it takes me about <laughs> half the amount of time to do the final twenty percent of polishing. And, uh, and so the, the content can be mostly built and that may take, you know, eight hours. And then I may spend the last eight hours working on it just to create interest and keep engagements.
0: So generally you're pouring roughly somewhere in the mid teens into a message, 15, 16, 20 I, hours. I would
2: spend anywhere between probably six hours to 20 hours yeah. And it very there's you know sometimes it comes together fast and other times it just doesn't and and it's it, each message takes as long as that message takes it's kind of like we had six kids and each delivery was was different yeah. every message is different
0: yeah that's fair are you a full manuscript person
2: uh, not at all I'm no. a, I I have a an outline um, but here's here's something I do that's probably different than a lot of people. Is before I ever preach at Carrie, I will have guarantee at least five groups come into my office, and I talk it through with them. And so I try to get different ages, um, especially I, I work with a lot of females only because I know how men think, but I don't. I, you know, I need I need more female help than I do male help. And I, also now that I'm uh, approaching fifty, I get you know younger staff members in 22, 25 years of age, and and I, I ask them lots of questions about the content. And what I want to know is, you know, what's what are you most interested in? I'll spend more time there. What is it I learned in the week that I'm like crazy excited about and you think is just stupid, you know, or, or irrelevant to you? What about this text applies to you that I'm not thinking about? You know, if you were going to cut 10% of it, what would you cut? So I ask them lots of questions and they, and so instead of getting feedback, like preaching it on Saturday and then just getting feedback, I'm yeah. getting pre- pre-feedback. And uh, I think that's one of the most helpful things to me personally as a communicator is getting that help on the front end.
0: So you're a busy guy. You have five different groups come in and or thereabouts?
2: Yeah, Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, it's, I I say five. I mean, it might be four. Sometimes it might be seven. uh, But, you know, I'll go out and get three people and uh, talk it through with them. And then on the fine editing, I've got a couple of people that are kind of specialists that help me do it. And I might bring one, maybe two in and go over it the final time. And and it just, it's, I'd be afraid to do it now without that kind of help.
0: That's really interesting. And I know like our mutual friend, Jeff Henderson, he will actually preach it out loud for feedback. I know at Liquid Church, they do that. I have a hard time. It's interesting because we all have different styles, right? And there's no one size fits all. I have a hard time rehearsing to an empty room or what I call a fake room, because there's something in the moment that really pulls you there. But I find we have a creative team that I'll meet with and I'll, you know, do all my work and my study and get it all done. And then I'll walk it into a meeting and I'll talk it through. And sometimes the light bulb goes on for me when I'm talking it through or sometimes they're like, well, that's not very exciting at all. And I'm like, well, I'm really excited about it. And I love the fact that you're doing that, you know, four to six times in a week. How long are those meetings? That, it's a talk through.
2: It can be 20 minutes, even though it's a, you know, 35 minute message because I'm just hitting high points or I want to know specifically, uh, you know, I'm wrestling between two verses or two, even two different versions, which one speaks to you most. Yeah. And, and so it, you know, a lot of times we wrestle with, we can't quite decide, or here's two illustrations, which one it, it hits you better. And sometimes they'll say neither one. Uh, and you know, a long meeting would be probably 40 minutes, but, uh, and they're just hit and miss. They're not, they're not meetings like, Hey, meet me at two o'clock. What I do is I walk through the office and say, Hey, do you have, you know, 20 minutes or do you have 30 minutes? And, and I gather people up that way and they're real informal. They're real helpful to me. Um, you you mentioned preaching out loud, you know, so before other staff members teach, they do, they do run throughs all the time. The only reason I don't is because I've done it for years and years. But uh, I do want to tell you an idea that may be helpful to some of the listeners. Uh, You know, how do you develop communicators in a multi-site church when, you know, maybe you've got one teacher. We've been doing something for a few years I love. We call it a developmental weekend. And so most of our different churches have six services, seven. We have four of them that actually have nine services on a weekend. So the average is probably between six and seven at all of our different churches. And so every local pastor... Um, on a developmental weekend, is allowed to choose uh, speakers from their team, and so if they have eight services, they'll choose four different speakers. Everybody gets two services. So on our last one, we had around eighty speakers. Um, everybody do two services, and it was fantastic because on so many different levels, the church loved it because you know I got to say, hey, you're going to get to hear someone very likely it's their first time, so they kind of had that whole underdog. Let's cheer them on. They had all different ages, people on staff. And you know, you imagine we had 80 different communicators preaching on a on a weekend. And then what was really valuable, Carrie, was on the front end, is they all preached for each other. And they would they, you know, learn to give feedback, receive feedback. And it's just a great, great tool. So, you know, of those 80 where they were, you know, any of them ready to preach to all of our different churches, you know, at one time, probably not a lot of them. But were they ready to preach to, you know, 500 people in a service and then 700 the next service? Absolutely, they were. And that's just a, a really good tool to develop communicators.
0: And that also creates a strong bench. I think I've heard you talk about the fact that there might be one or two in that mix that you're like, wow, I think this person could speak to all of our churches. Is that how you find new yeah, talent?
2: It is. And I'm I, I, right now, I'm, I'm more excited than I've ever been before just about the, the bench, meaning I've got... Um, you know, five different pastors we're rotating through regularly now, communicating to all the churches, and they're just all really, 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 really good. And so that's, I, I think it adds health to the church, and, and I'm super excited about it.
0: I think, Craig, one of the things that's uh, excellent about that is it also raises the stereotype, I'm sure you hear as a mega church pastor, that, well, it's all about one person and one personality. That's not exactly true.
2: <laughs> no, no, it's not at all. It's that's it's a... That's a massive misunderstanding of what takes place. In fact, you know, it, it it takes, to me, to be a good multi-site senior pastor, you have to be more secure with it not being about you than it being about you. And people from the outside think, well, when your face is on the screen, it's all about you. And the truth is, you have to be all about empowering other people uh, to lead and the, the screen time is really just not that big of a part of multi-site ministry. What's, what happens locally in the moment is what's most important. And so we have to give leadership away. We have to raise up other leaders. And, and it's, it really is not about that one person, although you know, many people think it is. They just they don't understand what really makes it work.
0: How many times a year these days, uh, ideally, are you speaking? Are you preaching? How many weekends?
2: That's a good question, and it's a little bit difficult to answer because I do a lot of team teaching. So there'll be several times a year where I'll start the first five minutes of a message. I'll finish the last five minutes, and then I'll have all of my pastors teaching the the middle part. We'll have developmental weekends. Uh, I'll do a lot of pre-producing the message. So you know, literally carry from the month from the third week of May, all of June, all of July um we were on video and so you know I did produce the content but I wasn't actually live doing right. the reps meaning preaching all weekend long so I'll probably do somewhere in the neighborhood of I probably help create content probably for around 35 or so of the weekends and then we're using more and more um internal communicators uh here and then occasionally we'll bring in still you know friends from from different churches sure. so I, I like what I like what we're offering right now it's i think we're creating a uh, broader diet of spiritual food that I think is is helping nourish our people
0: well, I think to be fair too Craig I mean you know when you think of the criticisms larger church pastors get the reality is in most small churches that senior leader the senior pastor is probably preaching 45 47 times a year right in the, he, many
2: situations. A, yeah I think that's often true and, and and uh it's it's a great blessing to me to have um, you yeah, know, free up a little bit of time to invest in other areas, and then see some great communicators um, really coming into their own. And and so it's it's this is this is the most fun season I think in the history of the church for me.
0: So I've been following you for many many years, maybe back to the '90s. I think um, just you know watching what God's doing through Life Church and trying to learn as much as I can from leaders I admire and respect. And I don't know whether you'd agree with this or not, Craig, but one of the things I've seen is what I perceive as a shift or an evolution in style. And it's something I've seen in you. It's something I've seen in a lot of younger communicators as well. And there's always a a debate in preaching world between preaching and teaching. And I think both are necessary and both are helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, But I've seen my perception is that your energy level has gone up, not down, over the last few years that you probably are leaning even more heavily into what I would call a preaching style rather uh-huh. than a teaching style. So rather than five helpful points that'll save your marriage, it's like uh-huh. a call to repentance, a call to surrender to Christ, that kind of thing. And I think most people who are familiar with the preaching space know the distinction I'm talking about. Uh, first uh-huh. of all, do you think this is accurate? And then second, if so, is that intentional? Like what are your thoughts about preaching and teaching and where your own style has is is going and where it is and, and where it might go.
2: So it's a good question. And part part of the tension is when I watch myself, I never love it. <laughs> it 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 always seems a lot better in my head than it does when I watch it come back. And so I never feel like wow. Like I may I may feel like I preached it and go okay. I, that, I felt really good about that. But then I watch it go. Oh, why did I feel so good about it? <laughs> so. Thank you for a,
0: saying that. I had to send a video clip to my editor for my next yeah. book about an hour of or two minutes of my best content. I look through stuff and I'm like, I'm terrible. Like I don't know why it's anyone wants so to publish it.
2: Better book. in my head, yeah, right. I
0: know, I know. Why do I do that? I'm, I'm I with you. I think that's hopefully, you know, I think that's healthy because if you really think you're that good, uh, that can be a big problem too. Right?
2: Yeah, yeah, I think I think that probably is a bigger problem. So I. I have such an appetite for great teaching and great preaching, and I appreciate you know both. I, I love it when a communicator really can kind of weave great teaching in a way that impacts you and emotionally and uh, as a preacher. So, it, kind of what happened, I think, in the early years. You know, I've been at this since I was in my twenties. I had more energy and communication, and then I kind of settled into, I don't know, maybe maybe I just settled in a little bit. Right. And I, I st- two things happen. One is just my intensity and, um, desire for people to get it, I think just kind of came back to life in the past mm-hmm. few years. And so I think it's just natural meaning I want you to get this so much that I can't say it quietly. Yeah. That's one thing. I think the other thing, just to be totally honest is I was, um, watching myself, I don't know, a couple of years ago in the green room at an early service that they were playing on video and I had the volume down and I was watching, I thought, I am bored stiff watching without hearing anything at all. And I just looked kind of lifeless and I thought I don't want to come across lifeless. So I think it's both a little bit intentional and then a little bit just natural or spiritual, meaning. You know, I, yeah. I want to bring a little more, and uh, and then the other thing is, I kind of have to bring a little more because it's so the, fi- the fire's burning a little hotter in my spirit today. Um, and I feel like that's I've got more urgency, and so I think that maybe some of that comes out.
0: It's evident, I, I've, I've picked that up, and I appreciate the honest explanation of it as well, Craig. Um, you know, one of the things that, that I think I see in sort of the next generation of communicators coming up is an elevation of passion. It, uh-huh. is, it is that sort of fire in the eyes, fire in the belly. Um, and let me ask you this Have you seen a greater response as a result of your intentionality and, and even where you are personally? In you know when you switch that style when you started to make those mid-course corrections, have you seen a greater response to your messages, more salvations? What what have you seen?
2: I, I think I I think a little bit. You know when we preach, we want to we 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 don't want to just preach to the head and we don't want to just preach to the heart. So we want to we want to try to engage every every part of someone. So I think uh, you, you know it, before I answer that question, I think if if we're focused all on style. And not content, we're in trouble. Yeah. But at the same time, there are some people who say it's all about content, and I actually think you're just underutilizing style, because you know a great story that's produced poorly in a movie is a, is a bad movie, and so content isn't everything. I think that that especially in in the world where we're we have we have the greatest content available at the click of a button anywhere, anytime, of any form. I think we need to be thinking both content and style. Uh, so, to answer your question, has there been a better response? What I can say is that I've had people say, Man, I notice you're more passionate. But man, I can feel your passion. And, and so I think that's a good thing. As far as are there more salvations and such, I, I still believe ultimately that's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not mine to control. But uh, I do think, um, yeah, I think the spiritual climate of our church is generally hotter than it was five years ago. And so that's something I'm really excited about.
0: That's good to know. How has preaching changed the most over the several decades that you've been a preacher,
2: in your view? Yeah, I think that's a complicated question because there's so many different, um, what I would kind of consider, pockets of Christianity all under the umbrella of Orthodox Christianity. You know, everything from full-on charismatic to reformed to kind of seeker whatever. So now what I would almost call like um old school pentecostal dressed up as new and cool, you know, so there's so many different different um styles and varieties of the presentation of the gospel to appreciate. Uh, and so, you know, how's it changed? In my circles, I think that um you know, Both you and I kind of emerged in the, uh, in the nineties when there was a big emphasis on realizing that we have to make the gospel accessible to people, that we can't assume that people who are in the churches are believers. And so there was a real big emphasis on that. Uh, I think that the pendulum probably swung a little bit far to, on one side to creativity, um, and presentation, uh, and production, uh, maybe, maybe in some places over the value of content, I think in my opinion, that pendulum is starting to swing back a little bit that rather than saying, you know, we want to have a produced service. I think people are saying we want people to encounter God. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, uh, so there seems to be a little bit more of that when it comes to preaching, I don't know. I listened to a few communicators, um, for, for me, if anything's changed, what I want to do is is I honestly feel like I want to go a little deeper into the text. I want uh, to, the, the, but when I listened to my messages earlier on, I felt like they were more on the surface than they are now. I want to engage with them it, it, at least at a deeper level myself. I want to have a, a little broader understanding of the context, and I kind of want to live in it a little bit more. And so, as far as other people's style. I'm not really sure how it's changed, uh, but I think that in the circles I'm around, I'm seeing more of uh, let's let's not start with an idea. Let's start with God's word and let the idea emerge out of God's word. So I think the starting point is getting back to maybe a little better place.
0: Where do you go for context? I mean, the obvious answers are commentaries or books, but like, do you have mm-hmm. two or three go-to resources that have really made preaching easier for you? I,
2: I do. Um, I'm gonna look at my shelf and tell you. So uh, I, I like what I like is I like Barclay for in New Testament just for kind of history. Oh yeah. Uh, he's he's a little bit liberal on some of the miracles and stuff, but I like Barclay for history in the New Testament. I like Warren Wiersbe for um, kind of teachability, <laughs> and then I like on my logos. What's the classic commentary? of This Old English. Um,
0: oh, Matthew Henry's.
2: Matthew Henry. Yeah. I like, I like, so those are kind of my three go-tos that I, I like to read. Um, I've also got one other set of commentary that I actually like, but the guy who wrote them hates me. And so it's hard to promote.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave that one. We'll leave yeah. that one for another day. Yeah,
2: I yeah. still think he's good. I, I tend to like more people than they like me, but that's oh, uh, good. Good for yeah. you,
0: Craig. Good for you on that. Hey, one question that I was thinking about earlier when you're talking about feedback. So you have these feedback groups, and I'm sure you get post-sermon evaluation, too. How do you create as a leader, especially, you know, you lead a very large organization. You have hundreds of people whose jobs depend on your approval or disapproval, right? Like, theoretically, this is the problem for a lot of bosses. I tell you, Craig, I really think you missed the mark. And inside, I'm really worried. Oh my gosh, what if I get demoted? What if he says, Well, Carrie, thanks for working here at Life Church. You're done. Um, how do you create um, an environment where people feel like they have permission to say, Yeah, I don't think that worked, Craig, and here's why? How do you do that?
2: You know, it, we do that so intuitively. I'm not even sure how we do it, but mm. it's. It's, uh, I think it, it has to start with the point leader because if the point leader doesn't ask for and receive feedback and make adjustments, I like what, um, our common friend, Andy Stanley says, if you don't listen to what people say, eventually you'll be surrounded by people who have nothing to say. You know, I think he says it better than that. But if we, you know, if we don't receive feedback, ask for it, crave it and, and use it, then people are going to start, stop giving it to us. And, you know, the higher you rise in any any form of our spectrum of leadership, the more difficult it is to get people to tell you the truth. They they start telling you what you want to hear. And that's when we're, we're all in trouble. So I don't know. man. But Back at the very, very beginning, I had lots and lots of feedback. And so I think that's woven into our culture. Whenever I meet with our new staff, I always ask them, you know, what surprised you most about being on the team? And the two most common answers I get is the, the the intense leadership development and then the feedback culture. Those are above all, hands down. There's just there's so much feedback. I don't know. You you know, without it, you're you're limited in your growth. Uh, I think it has to start at the top. I think um, is just uh, there's. I don't think there's a. It, I don't think there's a person on the team who would be afraid to say here's what you could do better to me. I mean, maybe I'm, maybe I'm naive and overstating that. Maybe there are people who would be afraid, but, uh, it wouldn't be because I don't want it. And so I think the posture of the leader, um, at the top of any organization sets the tone throughout. And, uh, you know, we've all worked for leaders who we know don't really want to hear anything, but what's positive. And if, if that exists anywhere in the organization, it's going to be incredibly limited. So it, you know, for us, it's everything from anonymous 360 reviews to every event is reviewed, to every message is reviewed. It's just it's woven into the culture. And I think if you find any healthy culture in any organization that's killing it over any five or 10-year period, what you're going to see is a, a high-feedback culture because I don't think you can be successful over time without one.
0: Did that ever, that feedback loop, did that ever or does that still sometimes create an insecurity inside you where it kind of hurts to hear
2: that? I honestly, you know, I just listened to a book this week called, I think it's called Thanks for the Feedback, and I'd recommend the book. And so one of the things the authors talked about is how different personality types receive it. And there are some people who, I think they call them absorbers. And they just absorb it all, feel like everything's their fault. And what, what happens is, it, one of the things they talked about I like, there's another book called Mindset, which is a great book too. And the author of Mindset talks about how the difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. A fixed mindset is, this is how I am, this is how I always am. A growth mindset thinks, this is how I am now, but this is not how I'm going to be always. So I think if, if someone has a fixed mindset, then feedback can be hurtful, meaning you're telling me... I didn't do this right, and so what I wrongly do is I connect the do with the who. You're telling me what I did, what I was doing wasn't right, but I hear it as who I am is wrong, and for me, I work really hard to always have a growth mindset, and if you told me, hey, here's what you did on your last podcast that wasn't great, what you could do to make it better, I don't think it would hurt me at all. I'd be kind of excited. Thank you, man. I love your podcast. That's going to help me make it better. So if something, you know, sure, I'm a human being, if someone, um, you know, really says something personal, says something about my wife, my kids, (laughs) that might, that might hurt me. But I think because, uh, and, and and over time, what I want all of our team members to do is we have a growth mindset. If you're critiquing what I did, you're not critiquing who I am, it was just my performance. And so I honestly don't think in most cases it's going to hurt at all. It's just, it's just, it's a tool to help us get better.
0: I think I've listened to every single one of your leadership podcast episodes. Have you ever talked about that on your leadership pod- podcast, like mm-hmm. done a full episode on the growth mindset and the feedback culture?
2: No, I'm, I'm, I, I listened to that book and just to work on a message on feedback in particular. And I haven't done one on the growth mindset, but uh, oh, I wish that'd be great. Yeah, I wish I could uh, t- quote the authors so people could read those books. But they're both good. Um, we'll link to it, it in the show notes. We'll find
0: yeah. it and we'll work with your team and we'll link to it. But that that'd be a fun episode because I think for me that was something I had to develop. I wasn't naturally somebody who handled criticism well, and I've learned how to deal with it. But I, it it can be a learned behavior, and I, I think that's wonderful. I mean, everybody wants to work for a boss like you that you know nobody's tiptoeing around. The head office or the preacher going, no, you can't say that. He'll start to cry, or you know, you get you'll get uh, penalized for that,
2: right? And I do think there's certain personality types where it's more difficult, and and so we have to understand that. But but that's you know, if we work to, you know, how we give feedback, when we give feedback, the heart behind it. I think Maxwell said uh, people don't just hear what you say; they see, they, they hear how you make them feel, yeah, something like that you know, the, the way we do it really matters. And so if we can help people understand this isn't criticism, I'll turning you down. This is, I'm sitting on the same side of the table with you. And then creating a real culture of safety, meaning you're not in trouble. You, you know, some, sometimes like if you if you get to a test back before you read the notes on it, you wanna see what the grade is. You wanna know where you stand before you can learn. So we need to help people understand you're not in trouble. This is a conversation, you know, you're doing a, you're doing a solid job. But I see potential for you to do much better. So here's some feedback to get better. And uh, over time, it's not just, it's not just something that you know, people avoid. It's something they embrace. I need this. I want this. We, get, we all get better when there's a high feedback culture.
0: Well, the next set of questions are coming from listeners to my podcast. And we had uh, well over 100 uh, submitted questions. And, and a lot of them were great. They were really awesome. good. So thank you, everybody, for that. What I've done is I boiled it down to about 10 or so that aren't um, covered, I don't think, on your podcast. So I think these are fairly fresh. And uh, I'm really curious about the answer to these. So, due to the ever deepening ocean of free and easy access to pre written content, Life Church Open definitely is, was a pioneer in that area. Um, is there a risk of encouraging or enabling biblical illiteracy stunted or stale spiritual growth and dishonest presentation for pastors and leaders of churches so someone goes to life church open they take your last series which they thought was amazing and they preach it as their own is there a problem in your view of a long-term steady diet of that or what what are your thoughts on that
2: it's a good question. you know we've thought a lot about this because at Life Church Open, you know we want to give away free content to help churches in you know every form and fashion possible. Um, so Carrie, for me, in the early years, when I was like 23, 24, 25 years of age, I used to order for like five or six dollars cassette tapes from other preachers. Yeah. And I didn't know how to preach at all. And I, I kind of learned by preaching other people's messages for the first few years. And then I did realize at some point, this has kind of got to stop eventually. And so I think it's a little bit like training wheels that, you know, n- n- not everybody is a mature preacher the first year they preach. Right. You know, hopefully we're all growing. And so you want training wheels to help a little kid learn to ride a bike. Eventually you want to take the training wheels off. So I think if, um, if, if preachers need a little help learning along the way, I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think that getting ideas from people, uh, I also, also, um, kind of am a believer in giving credit where credit is due. It's just wise. No one looks down on you. They'll look down on you if you copy and don't give credit, but it's, you know, you're, you're doing research and, and, and so, you know, generously give credit if you're, you know, like this whole next series, I'm doing, I took from a Warren Wearsby book. And so the first thing I'm going to do is hold up the book and say, you know, read this book. Mm. And um, it's rare that I have one that just is direct, that directly from somebody. But it in this case, it was so good, I, you know, I wanted to put his bullets in my gun and, and fire them. So, uh, you know, and that's probably the only time I've done something that direct in the last five years, but I'm, you know, I'm going to give credit for it. Can it stunt people's growth? I think, yes. If that's all you do over time, and you're not growing, yes. Uh, I think eventually, you know, preachers should learn to wean themselves off of it. And there's something that's in my mind over time it, when it's f- fresh and yours and you discovered it, there's kind of a higher level of authenticity. Yeah. So I would just say to, um, you know, anyone, hey, learn where you can, get what you can. Every now and then, if there's a message series that you want to take and use the heart of it and make it your own, go for it. But I think if you're doing that over a period of years and years, you're probably short-circuiting the work of God in your own life to grow as a preacher. Mm-hmm. And so uh, uh, that's kind of my thoughts.
0: Yeah, you also miss those uh, Saturday night and you know Thursday afternoon, I'm begging you, God, please make this come to life. Please, <laughs> right.
2: like, yep.
0: you know. There's a there's a certain vulnerability I think to preaching your own content to that uh, I feel on a fairly regular basis.
2: Yeah, I think I think you're right.
0: So love this question. It could actually be a whole podcast again. To because I wasn't smart enough to collect names. Whoever asked this, you're brilliant. How did your 20s and 30s prepare you for where you are now?
2: That's a, that is a really good question. You, you know, uh, I I think every day is preparing us for the future. What's crazy, Carrie, is that Mm -hmm. I was just telling my wife, Amy, yesterday, um, you know, our church is bigger than it ever has been. I'm older than I ever have been before, and I I honestly feel like I know less than I did when I was about 27 years of age. You know, it's kind of like parenting. Now that I've raised, for the most part, three of my six kids, I actually Feel less confident giving parenting advice than I did w- before I had any kids at Me all. Me too. So, and I wrote a book on it. Yeah, I'm yeah. With you. I know. Yeah. It's so you know the the more I do it, the more I realize just what I don't know. Yeah. But at the same time, the more assurance I have of God's presence, His sovereignty, His goodness, and the fact that He still works through broken people. Um, mm-hmm the twenties and my thirties, you know, I could almost break it into seasons. I think in my twenties, it was like all passion, no wisdom at all. (laughs) Um, you know, in my thirties, there's, I started to get a little bit more, um, wisdom along the way. I think, I think those, you know, the biggest thing that happened in those years is that I developed relationships, friendships, and a team that's been with me, you know, now for many of them for a couple of decades. And so there's something rich about that. I think the most important things you can do in your 20s and 30s would be to really um, narrow in on the principles that you want to live by. We're not going to be reactive in our leadership, but we're going to be proactive and determine, you know, what are some, what are some non-negotiables for us? What are we always going to stand for? Where are we not going to budge? And I think in my 20s and 30s, I, I was really able to become grounded Um, and some principles, I also was able to set up some things. I think we talked maybe about this in our last podcast, but just set up some systems in my life that keep me strong spiritually and keep me out of the ditches. You know, you're only as strong as you are honest and, Mm. and we all can find ourselves, you know, making decisions that we would regret. And so what I want to do is create the relationships, the systems, and the things that help me stay on track spiritually, and I, I really did those things early on. Um, I had a friend uh, recently. It was really humbly, The poor guy—he um, loves God, but he was dealing with kind of strongholds from the past. He made some some really bad decisions, and his kind of whole life fell apart. And he said, "He said, Craig, when I look at you, it's almost like there's compounding interest. If you invest over time, you see a great compounding result." He said, "It's almost like you've had spiritual compounding blessings." And I kind of thought about it, I said that, you know, that actually in many ways is really true. I've invested consistently in people. I've tried to stay faithful to God. I've tried to stay humble, broken before Him. And you know, over a period of two decades now, the uh, the blessings in this season, they're 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 just beyond what are human. Yeah. Or, you know, ability to impact people, and I think it's it's like compounding spiritual blessings. There's a uh, speaking of that. We're I like recommending books. The Compound Effect was another book that it, it, it kind of talks about that. But, you know it, you 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 don't you don't necessarily in, in your twenties you think God's going to do all this big stuff, yeah. and and he might, but he might not. But if you're faithful in your twenties, you may wake up in your forties or fifties and recognize that there's, there's a trail of blessings. The, the seeds that you plant in your 20s and 30s may not come into harvest until your 40s or 50s, but plant the seeds and do what's faithful today, no matter where you are. And over time, you you will see spiritual fruit.
0: Oh, I think that's such good advice. And I couldn't agree more. I really do think time multiplies your decisions, good ones and bad ones, the hidden uh-huh. things and the public things. And you know, Craig, I know you've talked about, you know, 50 isn't that far off for you. And it's something I passed a couple years ago. Probably
2: by the time this podcast comes out, it will have passed. (laughs) It's that close, uh, is it? It's It's like like it's around the corner, like they're planning a birthday party right now. There
0: you go. There you go. Well, happy 50th. So you probably met Lane Jones in your travels at North Point, have you? I have, I have. Yeah. yeah. Lane gave me the best advice I had for my 50th. He just said, oh, because, you know, I'm sitting there at 49 and nine-tenths going, Lane, I don't know, I'm turning 50. You feel like your life's over, but it's just beginning and the whole deal. And he goes, Carrie, your 50s will be magnificent. I said, Lane, how can you say that? That doesn't, like, you don't even know. You can't see the future. And he said, no, I've seen you work through all the junk in your your 30s and 40s. And he said, your 50s will be fantastic. And he said, my friends, because he's a few years older than me, he said, my friends who did their 30s and 40s poorly have terrible 50s. And those who did the hard work. And, and I think that's something, you know, a lot of us have watched you do over the years. Um, you know, your 50s become exponential. And I think that compound interest thing is exactly it. It's just all of a sudden you find yourself in a place that's beyond what you ever dreamed or imagined. Uh, and some of that is quality, not just quantity, but uh, it's like, wow, this is this is really great. I love your advice on that one. Again, kind of looking back, Craig, what have been a couple of the key decisions, this is the next question, uh, that have led the church to new levels of growth? You
2: know, this is a fairly common question that we get, you know, what are the two or three things that you did best or most, you know, led to the big growth? And and I, I always kind of hesitate and I want to answer it, but I think the only way to truthfully answer it is there are not, I can't name two or three yeah. big decisions, what I can name is, you know, daily faithful decisions that at the time didn't seem big, but kind of looking back, were big. They, they usually revolve around people, meaning, um, yeah, I can point to a time when we brought a person on the team and then that person became really strategic in moving things forward. And that, you know, I cannot overstate how important the other people are. I, I may be, more of a face of this thing, but I am just one of literally hundreds and hundreds of spiritual leaders that make this thing go. Uh, and so it's always been kind of around, uh, people that, that we've brought in. Uh, you know, there were things you look back and said, Oh, we tried video teaching for the first time. We went multi-site for the first time, blah, 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 blah. You know, those things obviously did create the avenue for the growth, but man, I'm telling you, it's, it's the decision where you have a hard conversation with somebody, it's where you face something about yourself that you don't like and don't want to admit. It's when you humble yourself and you apologize. It's, you know, it's, the, it's the quiet, private things um, that many people never know about that I think over time doing the right things that are almost invisible that lead to the um, exponential growth. So I, I, I wish I could tell you here's two or three things, but you know I can't. It, it was this morning calling somebody that I hurt and just saying, will you please forgive me? Mm -hmm. And, and humbling myself and recognizing, I didn't think about it from your perspective and, um, taking what could have been a relationship that, you know, ended up being wounded and, 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 and costing us both something and going in and doing the hard work before starting the day, because I care about this person so much and and it matters and it's right. And I was wrong. So, um, they're, they're just uh, it's, you, uh, you know it, they're just it's the daily decisions um, that lead to hundreds of them thousands of them that lead to what you see over time
0: anybody ever doubts about the depth of the team I mean I've spent a bit of time with Bobby Grunwald, who's been on your team now for years but Allison okay. Evans I don't know if you know this or not but I had a chance to interview Allison recently and her episode is either going to air just before yours or just after yours and uh-huh. man Talk about leadership rocket fuel. That woman is brilliant. And um, those are the kinds of people you surround yourself with. You can see that.
2: Thank you. Yeah, she is brilliant. And and uh, she's, you know, she's a star that a lot of people don't know. And, the, you know, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of people like that around here. And and that's, you know, that's probably the thing I'm most proud of is, is you know, People always say, "Where do you find these great leaders?" And I always say, "We don't find them; we build them." Yeah. And the truth is, I just don't build them. They help build me. You know, yeah. I, I'm better because Allison's been around and, and and helped me. And that's that's just we, we build each other. Uh, and what I need to do as a leader is stay out of her way and their way and and create an environment where they have the freedom to lead. Uh, because if I'm if I'm too hands on, then they don't grow. They don't have the chance to succeed. And so. That's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly proud of our team.
0: We've referenced the interview that Craig and I did earlier that I did with Craig, and that's episode 52, if you're wondering, if you want the shortcut to that. And it's worth listening because this is mostly brand new territory that we're covering in this one. Next question uh, that is listener submitted. The Vision for You version, which is actually my daily, has been for years now, my daily Bible reading, I do the Bible in a year on You Version. Um, and this listener wants to know, as someone with a technology background, I'd be interested in Craig's five to 10-year vision for technology to the mission of the church.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, man, I wish I could tell you about a new feature coming out on Version, and I don't think I can, but it is so <laughs> crazy cool. I to secrecy? Even, I, yeah. I cannot believe that we have the people on our team that have the ability to not only come up with this idea, but execute on it. It's like... I've seen it in the test mode, and it's it is so crazy cool. I, I'll I may whisper it to you after the episode, as long as you don't tell anybody. I won't I, tell anybody. I'll be, I, I may get fired for doing it, but it's it's amazing. So uh, I think the the your listener asked about technology for the church. So here's the thing: I have no idea five years from now how technology is going to be used in the church. I do know that you know, we have to leverage and redeem technology every single day to spread the gospel. It's what you're doing right now. Uh, so years ago I was a big, big believer in five-year vision statements and plans and blah, 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 blah. And what I realized is that the world is changing so fast. I, I cannot predict what's going to happen. You version, when we saw the opportunity, literally we saw and executed on it within weeks it wasn't something that we saw three years ahead. It was not even close to it. So what I want to do more than trying to predict the future is I want to try to be prepared for it. By mm-hmm. that, what I want is I want lots of margin in different areas, meaning um, I'm a cra- – I am I do not know anybody talking about this. I'd love to talk about resource allocation at some point. I think in ministries, businesses, this is so important – you know the, the the key to any type of future success is what you do with resources today to allocate to plant them in the right places. I want to create financial margin for opportunities in the future that I cannot predict today. I don't know what what's going to happen. It's going to be available six months from now. I don't know what new platform, new social media, what new um, you know. I just don't know what's coming. Uh, so I want to create and put aside financial resources for that opportunity that I know is coming, but I don't know what it is today. Same with my team. I don't want a team so stressed out that when there is, you know, Oh, we got this idea. Well, we just can't get around to it. Mm -hmm. So I want to live and lead with margin. Um, I cannot predict what's coming, but I want to be prepared for those opportunities to come. So if there's a amazing deal on a piece of land, we have the money for it. If there's three new staff members that we want to hire that we just find, we're going to have the money for it. Um, if there's some new, you know, something that version YouVersion-esque or Free Resources-esque or Church Online-esque or, you know, some of the things we created in the past, multi-site-esque, whatever it is, I want to have the margin in the team to seize it early, to jump on it and to make a difference. So I don't know what's coming, but I do know something is And I hope we have the wisdom to sense it early. And then we will have the resources to jump on it when we see it.
0: We'll come back to that in just a minute. Next question. How to get better retention from first time to second time to third time guests? And I mean, this is something you've had to figure out at, is it 27 locations right now? There's a lot.
2: 27, yes, sir.
0: Wow. Um, And so how do you make that move from first time guest to eventual active attender?
2: a really good question. We could spend a lot of time talking about this too. Um, you you know, in years past, so when, when I was a little kid, go to church, Hey, if you're a first time guest, stand up and introduce yourself, blah, blah, blah. So someone got smart and realized that terrifies people. So we cannot do that. So let's give them the gift of anonymity. Uh, and so the pendulum kind of swung to, you know, don't even acknowledge that they're there or give them a free gift if they want it, if they come out the language that we started to use was give them the gift of anonymity with a clear path to being known. Meaning when you're ready, then here's the path to become known. I think that was a good next step beyond, okay, now we're going to be anonymous. Let let them be anonymous. I think today, my my theory is this, that people are actually craving connection more than ever before. So I, I think that, I think that what we want to do is we don't embarrass people that are new, but we do want we want it very, very early on. I mean, there are people who will come one week and they'll be serving the next week if we recognize that there are some people that want that. So I think my assumption now is shifting a little bit more toward um, even non-believers actually want to make a difference. That one of the pathways to salvation we're finding is through serving. Meaning, mm. hey, I don't, yet, I don't necessarily believe all this Jesus stuff, but I see you're making a difference in the community. Can I help you? And I was shocked the first few times I've, I heard that, but now I'm recognizing that's a cl- very clear path to salvation yep. is by non-believer serving. So, uh, what what pe- what most people want is they want to make a difference some way somehow they're not going to go, most people are not going to go to a small group to some stranger's house immediately. So what I want to do is I want to create a pathway to making a difference early on. Um, we talk a lot about at live church about being needed and known. If you take a church of a hundred people, why do people stay? They often stay because they feel needed. There's something they're going to do and they feel known. If you take a large church like yours, why do people leave? there's a lot of reasons they stay Why do they leave. They often don't feel needed because someone else is already doing the role and they don't feel known. They missed two weeks. Nobody noticed. And so no matter the size of the church, I think we want to, what we want to do is help people become needed and known. Um, so to engage new people, we need to be sensitive and not knock on their door with cookies and scare them off. You know, if it's the first time there, but at the same time, we want to create a real clear pathway to how you're, how you're needed um, how you're known. Uh, I think you wrote about this. I love your language and you can say it better, but you know, engagement matters more than any, anything else now. I remember I think we uh, talked
0: about that in episode 52 that engagement will drive attendance in the future church.
2: Yeah. 100%. 100%. And we used to teach, you know, attendance drives engagement, but uh, but the way you've said it is the opposite. Now engagement drives attendance. And so I think not only do we need to think about retention of first time guests but I think we need to think about engagement of regularly engaged people because, as we know, um, people used to attend church three or four times a month, and now a very committed Christian is attending maybe one time a month in most parts of our uh, of the United States. I'm sure Canada is probably even yeah, probably a little even more depressing
0: sometimes. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little more, a little more depressing. So, uh, I you know, I think the key is engagement is, yeah. is, is at, at every level.
0: We'll link to in the show notes some of the articles I've written. It's also uh, one of the points in lasting impact. Uh, so, Craig, you and I have talked about that a little bit, and I know that's something Life Church is being more focused on, and that's what we're trying to do at Connectus Church is just get people to engage because engaged mm-hmm. people attend. And yeah, uh,
2: and I, I want to recommend that article. I know you'll link to it, but I do want to encourage our listeners to go read that. And uh, the one, some of the language we're using here is we call it focusing on the one sixty seven. Yes, and that's that's stuck with our staff. You know, there's 168 hours in a week, and for years in the church world, we were kind of trained. I know I was trained. Focus on the one hour they're in church, and that's that's a pretty pretty small um, mindset when we think about they're living 167 hours um, outside of the church doors, and so we we're trying to ask, how can we engage them spiritually in the 167, not just in in the one.
0: That's so good. That's so good. And that is language that we need to start adopting here at Conexus. You answer this kind of question all the time on your podcast, but I thought it would be fun because I get this question a lot. So it's a leader who's frustrated with a senior leader. So the Mm -hmm. question is, I'm a proactive, outsider-focused executive pastor working under a reactive, insider-focused pastor. What Mm -hmm. tips do you have for helping to motivate change for church growth?
2: hmm. So I think I think that question probably has a couple layers to it. W- one of them is just how do you lead up? And, um, you know, our friend Clay Scroggins just wrote a great book on that subject, how how to lead when you're not in charge. So good. Excellent book. And so that's one good resource. I did, I think, two different episodes or maybe maybe one full episode on the subject of leading up on on this podcast. But I think they're good principles to learn. How do you most people think of leadership as leaning down. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, the problem is the vast majority of people, uh, you know, are actually le- leading up as a greater opportunity. The staff members that report directly to me, that influence me, that's that's some of the best leadership they can do is to help yeah. help lead up. And the, I think the next part of that question is, you know, the the uh, the uh, person asked you know, that the pastor is an inward-looking, reactive leader. I think what we want to do is perhaps that pastor has been inside the church world too long. I'd recommend finding a way to expose them to some people that are far from God. It just kind of creates an evangelistic heart. And so, you know, if, if we're not careful, all of us who are working in the church world, we just end up surrounded by Christians and we start being obsessed with our own language and, you know, our music and our, you know, our speakers and blah, 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 blah. Um, I I just got back, um, we went to see a friend of ours perform in, um, Las Vegas. It was our first time to stay on the strip and just look around like, oh my gosh, this is a whole different world. And it kind of, it, it really helped to re-engage in a deeper level, our passion, um, to help the lost find Christ. And so we had lots of spiritual conversations there that quite honestly, I don't have down the street in Oklahoma. So I would recommend take your pastor to some take him to take him to the strip in Vegas. You know, <laughs> yeah. and kind of joking, but kind of not joking is is um, it, you know help expose your pastor to some to hurting lost people, not just hurting church people, mm. but maybe that maybe that'll start uh, spark something in your pastor.
0: What are some of the main responsibilities in your view, and we can do this rapid fire, just two or three that you don't think a senior pastor should ever delegate?
2: Um, if, if we ask that question, you know, what should a pastor delegate if we start there? I think the answer would be, it's going to vary from season to season mm-hmm. it, it, because I delegate a lot of things now that I didn't delegate early. And I shouldn't have delegated earlier. And so in every growing season, we should delegate more and more and more, uh, you know ultimately the the vision and the direction of the church is something that I should never delegate yeah. but uh, at this point of the game I will tell you this that as a as a pastor or leader of anything um in order to really impact more people you have to delegate more than you ever thought possible mm-hmm. it would it would be stunning and shocking if i had made a list of all the things that i've delegated and don't know um at this point the vision is is one thing i can't delegate how i manage my family is something i can't delegate what I preach on is something I can't delegate. Outside of that, that's your pretty fair game on what is possible. I think most pastors would be better off not asking what should I not delegate, but asking the question of what more should I be delegating. I think is probably a more helpful helpful approach because we tend to try to hold on to too much, and then we become the lid or the ceiling to what God wants to do because we're not trusting, we're not empowering, and we're too controlling.
0: One of the big questions that's sort of emerging in the church today is the whole succession question, right? Mm -hmm. And we're seeing that. Churches Mm -hmm. like yours that were started by guys, in many cases older than you now, but, you know, they got started in the 80s or 90s, and their leaders are in their late 50s or early 60s or even 70s. And it's a big church. It's not like, oh, yeah, we'll just find another pastor from somewhere else in the denomination. Um, how, are you guys thinking about succession at life church? this is the last uh leadership question or is that years down the road for you what what um what are your thoughts on that?
2: you know I think that I think we always kind of need a break glass in case of you know emergency break glass plan yeah and so if something uh, something happens to me you know what would we do and so we we have a you know we have a couple people on staff right now that I think are actually could step in and do as good a job, maybe even over time, a better job. And so we we feel pretty confident that we have leaders here that they could handle it. We've also got some really creative plans. I don't want to go into now because, but, but what I I do think are really, really incredibly viable options for the future. Uh, And so at this age, I think it would be wrong to name a successor. I think once I'm older that's something that I actually will be, be very passionate about doing well and doing at the right time, and I hope I'm and I think I'll be wise enough not to play too long, you know. And like, <laughs> yeah. And uh, well, you're not actually, fifty yet,
0: but that's going to change. soon. Yeah, no, no, no right?
2: but I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm crazy passionate about handing ministry off. Yeah. I feel like I'm doing it more and more now, and I feel like when the time's right, I'm going to be able to do it. And so, I, I feel like we have way more options, not um fewer options i do know just if i can kind of comment you know i know that uh village church matt chandler is a great friend a guy i respect a lot and tim keller also just a giant you know they're uh are transitioning their churches to local churches so instead of having however many five or seven campuses eventually they're going to go to um you know five different churches completely with with standalone teachers and so some people are saying is that the trend in multi-site I just want to say I think that's the trend for those churches. I do not think at all that's the trend for multi-site um, yeah. at all. I think that we're going to be able to that if uh, if that's the right plan for a church, then that's an easy and effective way to do ministry. But I also think that transitioning a multi-site church is very very doable, and uh, I think I think we have more options today than we did um, before multi-site. So.
0: Well you know I think what's what's good to know and I agree you don't have to share that plan now. you've got years ahead of you which are really exciting and I mean your passion continues to grow. but I think what will reassure a lot of people who wonder about these things is that you have a plan, you have a multiplicity of plans and at the right time you know you'll trigger those, which is yeah. which is really good to know. I think I think the assumption Craig is that a lot of people think, oh, it's we've sort of tackled this multiple times, but it's one guy. There is no succession plan. It's all built around one personality. That's not
2: true. No, it's just not true. And it, and I think that I think it's very possible to build it that way. And that, that is something that will not stand. I think that and and I think you know, looking at it from a distance, that's gonna be how it appears. Once you get up closer and, and you recognize the depth and strength of leadership, you know a lot of times people sit back and say, "Wow, there's a lot more to it than what I realized." And that's the case in your church, our church, and a lot of great churches. It's not the case in all multi-site churches. It can be it can be built to some degree around a personality, but there's also a way to build it to where it's 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 not. And I think that's the goal of any great leader is to um, to build an organization that would outlast that leader. If not then we're really not succeeding in passing things on to the next generation. And so um, people can say it's not going to work. And I I would just say, um, just wait. And I think over time, you'll see that it can be done really, really well.
0: If you have a few more minutes, do you want to talk about resource allocation? You said, man, I never get asked on this. And uh, I I loved where you were going about creating margin for the future.
2: Yeah. You know, I think, there, there is a book. Gosh, I wish I could think of the name, but, but I finally found one. It was written about 2012 or so. Uh, I might, I might get it for you afterwards, and you can link to it. Uh, that did talk quite a bit about. It's a book for CEOs on, um, and it talked a lot about resource allocation. In fact, this book said it was that was one of the top uh, priorities for CEOs of the top companies in in the world. And I thought finally someone writes about this because I just haven't found much written on it. Maybe I'm not reading the right places. But you know, I would love to have some some format to talk to you know senior leaders about how how do you how do you allocate resources in such a way to facilitate growth in the future. Yeah. And I think I think that's in many ways, that's the strength behind what we were able to do here because you know. Our expenses are well below our income, it's not because our income's high. Our income per person, our, our revenue uh, giving per person, is actually considerably lower than most churches. Huh. So it's not it's not like our giving per person is really really high. It's not, but the way we manage resources is is um, incredibly efficient. So g- give you some kind of a peek behind the curtain. Uh, the typical building we build is thirty six thousand square feet. Okay very simple, flat floors, um, no youth space. We, you know, we use the auditorium again, uh, portable stage. We don't put in image magnification. It's a very, very simple, very functional, very clean facility. And so we keep the cost down on it. We're able to minister to above 5,000 people out of a 36,000 square foot building in seven, eight or nine services. The benefit we have here is this. If if a normal church has two services and we have eight, we're getting four times the return out of the dollar invested in the building. Yep. That's a massive return out of the dollar invested in the building. Um, smart donors love that. Yeah. Uh, and and it's, I think God honors it. And then we're able to keep the staff size smaller because when we create material to be used, like like Connexus Church— it's not used at one location. It's used at 27 locations. Right. So every time we add a location, basically the cost per use goes down. So I don't have to create a lot bigger central staff to serve the campuses. Since so much is done centrally, we can keep the campus size staff smaller. So, you know, it, normally if a church would have, you know, 100 um, – they, they might have one staff member to every, you know, 80 or 100 attenders – our ratio is much much lower than that because we're incredibly efficient, and so we save money on staff dollars and we save money on building dollars, and so what that does is it creates financial margin, and that's how we're able to invest in new locations for growth. So next next year, Carrie, um, if all goes as planned, and it looks like it will go as planned, we'll launch four brand new churches that's in four amazing. different four different states. Uh, our church is debt free. And before we ever break ground in these buildings, we'll have them paid for um, day number one. It has not always been this way. There was a time when we had way, way, way too much debt. Uh, but what happened is we learned to start allocating the resources in in such a way that it actually does create financial margin. And, and what we what we do with that is we put it into places that are evangelistic to help reach more people. So, how how do we fund the U version Bible by being by being wise and creating margin, how do we give away resources? By being wise, creating margin. How do we? How can we launch four new churches in full-on buildings paid for in cash? It's by resource allocation, deciding ahead of time to be efficient to create opportunities to go and do things that impact people.
0: This is fascinating, and I agree. I mean, our mutual friend Andy Stanley, he said it many times that you know, margin gives you freedom. That if you Uh really want freedom, having money in the bank, you know, I remember years ago I heard him preach a sermon where he said, "Hey, if God called you on the mission on a mission trip, would you have the money for the flights and the week or two or the month that you need to spend away?" And my answer at that Uh time, when you know I was probably in my thirties, was no. But the answer today is yes, and that's a Uh very freeing thing. Now, God may not call you to go on a mission trip, but I mean, you know, if you don't have the money, or the answer is debt, that's I think that's the principle underneath Uh this. Walk us through it because a lot of the leaders listening right now they're sitting with two hundred thousand dollars debt or twenty million dollars debt depending uh-huh. on the, the size of their church. You were in a you weren't always in this place of margin. Uh-huh. What were some turning points? What were some aha moments that moved you from where you were at Life Church to where you are today, Craig?
2: That's a great question. So what I don't want to, is some church to say, "Oh my gosh, we're not there." You know, I hate Craig Rochelle. We can never be there, whatever, <laughs> because. You can't you can't be there overnight. Right. So there's there's just there's no way we weren't. And I don't know, you know, if, if someone else can uh write the book and I'll I'll buy it, it'd be the first one to buy it. So um you know in the early years we were hanging on for dear life, couldn't build, couldn't couldn't hire staff, we're always behind, paycheck to paycheck, and that's just kind of the, the way it was. Uh, a turning point for us was when we started to give away free resources. This was a big, big deal because we were at the peak of debt, and we we could have sold them, and that was kind of the normal <laughs> would have model. Helped, right? Helped. It would it would have helped, and so I was scared to death. I can't you can't overstate how big of a step of faith that was because we you know can we afford to continue doing this? We actually have a team now. There's probably I don't know eleven or twelve people full time staff. All they do is serve other churches. That's it. You know, at the time is like, can we even give anything away and continue to do it? Would just it seemed it seemed scary impossible and i i honestly believe that that was a point that god started to bless us hmm. the other thing is we had a theory that we could kind of reach a, a tipping point with efficiency meaning if i've got a central staff and we're serving five churches by the time i get to 10 churches that's, that central team doesn't have to grow that much and so we right. should become more efficient over time and i just it, we we kind of had a theory that would happen we didn't know how strong and how fast it would happen. And it it did. We have to have discipline just because we could doesn't mean we should just because we can, doesn't mean we will, you know, so there are so many things we could do. You know, we could, I could pay myself a heck of a lot more than I do. We could, you know, I could buy, you know, a jet airplane, we could start building fancier offices. We could build bigger buildings. We could do image mag and all these places. We, we could do a lot of things, but we have to have artificial comp, uh, constraints not to do certain things. So just because we can, doesn't mean that we're, we're going to. Uh, and, and you know, I like what a lot of the art churches do is they budget, you know, let's say their revenue last year was, you know, $400,000 in a church. Sure. They're gonna budget next year, 90% of their revenue so their budget is always less than the than the prior year revenue. I think that's really wise. We do actually what's considerably more aggressive than that now, but it just happened over time. We're just not going to spend what comes in. So your
0: 20% margin, 25%, do you have a particular
2: Yeah, it's it, you know, last year I, I hate to even say these numbers cuz they're pretty intimidating, but it, it's they're, they're they're pretty big. Yeah. Um and you know, well, well more than 20%. But least.
0: again, you know, that's something that you got to over a decade. Out
2: over over years, and it's intentional. The whole staff works on it. We all know it. We're working together. And the reason is not because we want to stockpile cash, but because we want to give more, which we do, and then we want to invest it more into places that we feel like are going to add kingdom value. And so we're able to give more and more and more, and then we're able to start more churches, which is what we're passionate about. And so it's, a, you know, it's not a, the sky is falling. So we're hoarding money. It's not, you know, we're greedy. We're hoarding money. What we are is we're wise, stewarding resources, um, in order to leverage it, to make a difference.
0: Wow. Craig, this is amazing. I mean, we were joking at the beginning about the difference between your podcast and my podcast, but here we are (laughs) pushing 90 minutes into the conversation and it's been so rich as we wrap up. um, anything coming down the pipe that's got you really excited or that you want to tell leaders about
2: you know I I, I honestly would say this I would say uh, uh, your content really inspires me mm. um, are we doing anything new and different that I'm excited about not at this point uh, I kind of our staff always ask us what's new what's new what's new and uh, right now you know we're working on kind of doing the five things that lead to exponential growth in the church world and and we're trying to do those things consistently, and as, as long as if I can, if I can work this plan for the rest of my life, which is, you know, raise up leaders, buy land, build buildings, um, see people saved in them, support them, do those things over and over and over again for the rest of my life, I will not change it one bit and do it forever.
0: Those are the five things you focus on.
2: Yeah, well, it's it's you know we, we have to in in no particular order, but in order to scale up, you know, in the church world, you have to you have to find a place to do church. You have to raise up leaders to lead it. You have to have actually church people, people saved and people want to be a part of it, or if they're empty buildings, it it dies. Um, You have to, you have to fund it in some way. If not, you end up upside down and then you have to support those leaders with systems and care um, to make sure it works. So if any one of those five things aren't happening, you can't scale up.
0: We'll link to those in the show notes just so you know.
2: Yeah. So right now that's, you know, we're, we, you know, for one of the first, in maybe the last three years, we've had those things aligning better than ever. Usually, usually one or two or three or four are lagging, <laughs> you know, you, you don't, you don't have the money or you can't find the place, you don't have the people or you're not growing fast enough or whatever. And, um, if we can kind of keep those things balanced, then we've got, we've got nothing but kingdom opportunities ahead of us. And right now they're balanced. And so that's, um, I don't need something new. I need something that works. And right now something's working, so I'm willing to do that. Hopefully I can do this every day. And um, I'm sure something's going to lag before long because it always does. But that's, that's our plan, just keep doing what God is blessing.
0: Craig, I can't thank you enough. I mean, you know, decades of faithful leadership in the church and being available to come back and talk to our audience has been so helpful. You've helped tens of thousands of leaders again today. And I just want to say thank you for that. Um, there are probably, I'd say, three who are, haven't followed your podcast or found you online Whatever. yet. So yeah. for those three, what's the easiest place to find you?
2: Well, our uh, church website is life.church, and then you know, I'm on social media. And uh, then the podcast, if you just type in Craig Rochelle Leadership Podcast, you can, you can watch it on all different formats. And,
0: and Craig's a fun follow on Instagram. Is that your favorite platform right now? You're on it all the time.
2: You know, I like uh, I actually like doing little stories. I had a great one I did today where I was promoting a couple of people that were available and then uh, yeah,
0: you do this like get my staff member married thing, right?
2: Yeah, that's one of my favorite <laughs> things to do. <laughs> so I like to do that I
0: so is I, it uh, Alex was your first candidate? Is he dating anyone yet or man,
2: I, I think I'm not allowed to say, but maybe yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> So last, last I heard, he said no more posts about him because he's working working a So oh,
0: that's so funny. So if you're single, um, and looking, you know, become friends with Craig and he'll do an Insta story, uh, trying to find you a mate. Those are those are really funny. And you know, I think I said to you this to you before we started, but one of the things I love is it's a combination of leadership stuff which is obviously produced by a team but there's a lot of you in it there's a lot of okay. your heart a lot of your family moments and and actually a lot of fun which is thank which you. is great thank you craig i can't thank you enough thank you so much for being with us again
2: today hey you too and thank you for your uh your content i've got a lot like a lot of my staff members they they're big fans of what you put out they're like man Carrie's blowing up everybody's talking about it so I'm glad God has given you a platform to get your amazing content out because it's it's really helpful to me. It's helpful to our church. I know it's helpful to pastors and leaders all over.
0: That's incredibly humbling. And uh, thank you so much, Craig.
2: Okay. Hey, thanks, man.
0: Yeah, that is rocket fuel, isn't it? I mean, that was that was just so good and so rich. Craig, thank you for being so generous with your time, with all of our leaders today. By the way, you have got to check out the Craig Grishel Leadership Podcast. If you haven't done that yet, like if you're not listening to his, you are missing out. Um, as I said in the interview, I think that was the recorded part where I just said, man, you do more in 20 minutes than I can do in two hours. It's just unbelievable what he does. Obviously, different formats and different purposes, but I never miss an episode of Craig's. Uh, we'll link to that in the show notes along with everything else. You can find it all at kerrynewhoff.com slash episode 173 or go to leadlikeneverbefore.com. Just type in Craig Grishel. You'll see both the episodes I've done with Craig. And um, yeah, we have show notes. So make sure you check out all the links, anything you heard referenced in this episode. You will Find there. Remember, you get 10% off for life at trainedup.church. Just use the coupon code CAREY, C-A-R-E-Y. Make sure you get your teams trained for 2018. And this is the final day for the highimpactleader.com in this launch window. So head on over to thehighimpactleader.com and make sure that you get the tools to help you get your life and leadership back. Do not make 2018 as frustrating in many respects as 2017 was get a hold of your time and start getting time, energy, and priorities working in your favor this year, head on over to the highimpactleader.com. We got some great bonuses and it all expires at midnight tonight if you're listening on broadcast day. Hey, we're back next week with a fresh episode and so many of you have heard about the 4 campaign. Maybe you've seen this, you know, that we want to be for our city or we want to be for whatever town you're in or for a region or for a county. Where did that come from? Well, believe it or not, it came from a very humble guy, a good friend, an amazing church leader named Jeff Henderson, who leads one of the North Point campuses, Gwinnett Church. And uh, I've got Jeff on the show next week, and he's going to talk all about the four initiative and basically how to market to your neighbors without marketing. Fascinating conversation. Here's an excerpt.
3: I'll give you an example. Yeah, Everybody talks about Chick-fil-A and this big company, but they, they actually don't have that much advertising dollars as it relates to McDonald's or the big boys. You know, Really? They don't? No, no. I mean McDonald's by far has a much bigger advertising budget than Chick-fil-A by far. I mean it just is – you'd be astounded. But what Chick-fil-A does have is word-of-mouth advertising. And they can fuel that as well. So let me give you an example of of how that may work in in, in church world. Okay. Yeah, sure. Um, In in the business world, and I totally understand this, we've been so focused on building raving fans and businesses, which I think we should still do. But the game has changed where businesses need to be more concerned about becoming raving fans of their customers than creating customers that are raving fans of the business. So let me say that again. You want businesses to be raving fans of their customers more so than customers becoming raving fans of the business. What I mean by that is most businesses, their social media platforms, it's all about the business. So if a business was a person, most businesses would be narcissistic. Because if you, if you, if you looked at it from a standpoint of, let's say this business is Steve, all <laughs> right? right, And you looked at Steve's profile. It's look how great we are and you know, come see us and we're amazing and we're the best and we're so much better than this person and we're so much better than that person. So if you gave a business a person, they would be a narcissist. What you wanna do is you wanna stop talking so much about you and talk about the people in your community and you can talk about their experience with you. But when you begin to put the community and the customer as the hero, you become a value add to the community and then they will in turn, I think, If the experience is great, operation is great, what we've all talked about, they will begin to spread the the word about your business or your organization because you have partnered with them and helped make their life better.
0: So that's next week, folks, and we are back with a fresh episode every Tuesday. If you subscribe, uh, you never miss a beat. And thank you to all of you who keep leaving ratings and reviews. Man, I read every single one of them. You guys are so encouraging and so amazing. Um, Thanks so much for listening, and we'll be back next Tuesday with a fresh episode. I really do hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before.